We are Science Fiction Remnant, a podcast for sci-fi lovers spanning across books, movies, TV shows, and games. This is Season 1, Episode 35, short film, Brolga for February 13, 2021. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Science Fiction Remnant. Thank you so much for coming back. This means a lot to us. We hope that you find this episode as exciting to listen to as it was for us to create for you. If you like this show and know someone who might like this podcast, please share it. It would help us greatly in growing this channel. You can also follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Remnant and share any comments you have about this podcast with your friends and family. And before we continue with the show, here are our sponsors and collaborators. Today we have a treat, <laughs> a real good treat. We have this movie called uh, Brolgat. It was released on September 6, 2019. Um, however, we are going to be having the discussion about this uh, short film with the director of the film, uh, Adrian Powers. How you doing? I'm very well. How are you guys doing today? Awesome, awesome. We're we were just talking, me and Giancarlo, saying how honored we are to be able to talk to the director of this film. Um, this film, um, it kind of grabbed us. Oh yes, it, it, it made me feel bad that there there wasn't more. <laughs> I hope that you're working on something more on this because the story is like, I want more. <laughs> I had to I had to really admit it's it's just like from the very first uh you know the wording and 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 the very first few minutes of the film I was already hooked yeah. and there was basically no um you know it's just cinematography basically and you could you could call it I mean that's my perception of it but there was a lot of non-verbal storytelling at the beginning of it which is something very uh subtle Yes. So it hooks you without you even noticing, really, because you're just seeing what's happening. There's not much dialogue in the first minute or two. Yeah. Still, you're seeing what's the reality of the story that is being told in the time. So I mean, I think that that's just brilliant. Yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs> and um, Adrian, uh, go ahead and tell us about you know a little about yourself and 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 how um, this movie came about. Well, I just want to say, guys, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a real honor for me to be able to talk to you guys. And I love just the opportunity to talk about movies and science fiction. So, you know, I'm very, very grateful for the chance to have this happen. And I I do apologize if there's any kind of interruption in the connection. You know, sometimes these international Skype calls can maybe get a little bit of lag going on. But bear yeah. with me if there's any interruptions. Um, I'm a I'm a filmmaker from Sydney, Australia, and um, this film, you know, has been a, a big passion project of mine for a while. I've been working in the film industry for about ten or twelve years now, um, but this is a film I've wanted to make for for you know many many years beyond that. And uh, the, you know, the, the story of the film is, is is long and interesting, but the the short version is is that I'd always wanted to kind of tell a story about indigenous and non-indigenous Australian relationships. I was brought up with an education about the injustices and the, uh, you know, the, 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 ter the terrible things that were leveled upon 
the Aboriginal cultures of Australia, and um, it, it grew up as a, as, a, as a concern of mine, a concern about the past, a mm-hmm. concern about the present, and thoughts about the future. And and so in in many ways, you know, this was something which was was in my consciousness for for many many years. And then when I came across the works of the of the artist Michael Connolly, uh, paintings and and poems and and retellings of stories of his ancestors, I was incredibly moved and affected by them. And and had, had wanted to to potentially you know come up with a story about really um, different parts of, of of Australian cultures mm-hmm. coming together and learning from each other and listening to each other and moving forward together. And so I got in touch with Michael and I said, you know, this is what I you know I I, I just love your work and and this is some of the things that has made me feel and these are some of the ideas I've had for a long time. And what do you think about this? And, you know, is this appropriate? What, you know, what are your thoughts on this? And would you be interested in potentially discussing these things with me? And he was so enthusiastic and so into the, into the concept and really recognized what it would be and, and the collaborative benefit, but also about telling a message and also getting his art and, 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 and indigenous storytelling further out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, and, you know, so the, the project actually kind of commenced it's actually insane now. It's 2021. So, th- so we we shot the original material for this footage ten years ago now, in in 2011, when I was oh, actually wow. still in film school. <laughs> just just components of it, not all of it, but but portions of it. And then we weren't able to get. You know, we we didn't finish it because it was a very large kind of you know idea <laughs> for a film school project. And then I came out of film school and uh, was lucky enough to get work as a filmmaker and work as a director and as, a, as an editor and, and all sorts of other wonderful things. And I was, I was very lucky enough to be able to build a, a career working as a filmmaker. And that meant that this project was literally on a shelf, you know, on a hard drive on a shelf somewhere for years and years and years until finally in 2017, you know, at that time, only six years afterwards, you know, I was like, I've got to finish that movie. So many people work so hard. We work so hard to get it together. And, um, and so in 2017, we finally started the process of getting it finished, which was a whole other kind of adventure. <laughs> nice. nice. Um, this movie was um, based on a story, and, 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 and forgive our ignorance, but this movie actually forced us to learn a little bit more. I'm sure that this, for the Australian audience, this might be second knowledge uh, for us. Um, it was kind of like a learning path, but this was based on a story, I believe it's called uh, Brolga. Um, mm-hmm. And I was kind of reading the story and, and I found it very, very interesting. Um, and it, you had a chance to read it also. Yeah. And, and this is how it, it, it actually is explained in the movie. Um, but I just kind of like how it's, you know, changed. And I kind of read from... Um, Michael's um, website, um, mm. the the story that was on there, and um, it talks about this girl that she walks out and she danced every day until she became really really good at dancing, and this evil spirit noticed noticed her, and he said, "Well, I have to have her." Came down, pick her up. The Waywa, I think it was the name of the evil spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Why wear a? Why wear So they came to to her rescue, and in the process, and I'm I'm sure I'm cutting a lot of the story, um, but she, they thought they lost her. She became a, a crane, and um, danced, and then flew away. 
And is this correct? This is how that um, I think that is that is it a bird that is called Brolgat? That's that's correct. So so I mean I really. Uh, respect and appreciate you guys kind of reaching out yourselves and trying to learn a little bit more about that. You know, that in many ways was, I know, you know, one of Michael's goals for the film, you know, like, you know, these stories aren't, uh, you know, as a non-Indigenous Australian, you know, these are are not my stories, but Mm -hmm. they are the stories of my country. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so what I was always inspired to do was to collaborate with someone to, and, and as, as Michael being an artist, you know, he's, uh, he enjoyed the opportunity to get his art and these stories into a sphere or into a realm where they're not necessarily seen as often. And I think that, you know, obviously we, we will, we're going to start to see this kind of thing probably more and more and more, but he was really interested in getting those stories echoed and getting them to new audiences. And I'm so, I'm so happy that that's actually what's happened in this case. Um, in terms of the familiarity of stories like this with the broader Australian public, I mean, it's certainly, you know, it's certainly not a, an extremely common knowledge uh, thing, you know, f- for the broader Australian culture. First of all, the a- Aboriginal people of Australia, it's certainly not one culture. You know, there's actually mm-hmm. many, many, many hundreds of different communities and tribes and groups that, you know, have lived in this country for tens and tens of thousands of years. And they all have a huge myriad of different stories and different cultures and customs that pertain to them as individual groups. Um, and so there are there are many 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 countless stories and incredibly rich histories and 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 ancestral passings down that that happen throughout the whole country. And in and in Michael's case, this this story is a Murawari story. His tribe is the other Murawari people. Um, and what's interesting about the these stories and and for the Aboriginal people they refer to them as the Dreamtime stories or time, stories that refer to the dreaming, which is the mm-hmm. the kind of prehistorical time, you know, when the when the Earth was still new and was still being formed and how the things that we see in the world came to be created. And so you'll see a lot of these stories that you know they are dramatic stories, but they ultimately result in how something was created and why we have something today. And those stories explain and provide context for yeah. how things came to be. And in many ways, you know, part of the journey for me on this film was being educated and learning that, you know, it, you know, these stories have a very special place for Aboriginal people. And we as non-Indigenous Australians, we're actually never going to understand their true kind of richness. Mm-hmm. We're, ne- we're not from that culture. So it's not something that we're ever going to truly understand in the way that they're understand by the people that tell them, but they are still incredibly powerful and still very important to preserve and for us to work together to preserve and for us to work together to make sure that they are put out into the world and people have a chance to hear them because like so many uh, Indigenous and uh, First Nations people throughout the world, you know, the first Australian culture is constantly at risk of incursion and people who don't respect that history and violate sacred spaces. Even yeah. just recently, there's been many instances of, of astronomically important ancient Aboriginal cultural sites that have just been destroyed oh, wow. in, the name of, in the name of mining or in the name of corporate greed. And it's an ongoing battle um, that's nowhere near complete. And so there's th- themes like that are also woven into this story of this film. Yeah, we, we felt compelled to read about, um, I'm not sure if it's because, you know, it's, it's obviously not, you know, we're not Australians and, and we had that curiosity 
you know, first with the name uh, and the story. And it, it, I find it really, um, um, to me, it was surprising that kind of like an onion. When I look at this movie mm-hmm. that initially I, I, I thought, okay, it was a really cool sci-fi film, a short film, that it has a lot more behind it. And, and I don't know if you, it, what was your, your thought on that? I mean, the first time that I saw it, I was like, oh, this is really cool. But as I peeled and, and then I read the story and I rewatched the movie, it was like, wow, th- there's a lot more to it than oh, just yes. what I saw initially. And here's, here's uh, what I wanted to say caught out my attention to. Uh, Robert knows this, but one of my favorite readings usually is mythology and an old story. And I learned taking a mythology class on, on university uh, about creational stories. And it's documented that the most ancient recorded uh, mythology story of creation is Australian. Yes. And I think if, if I don't recall well, it's about like a snake god that created men out of clay. The, you're absolutely right in terms of it being the the, the oldest um, you know chronicled uh, mythological story of the of the creation of civilization. I mean, the Aboriginal people is the longest ongoing civilization yes. in the world. They've been consistently a, 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 you know a, a living people with a thriving with huge communities and cultures mm-hmm. for you know sixty thousand years, perhaps longer. Yeah. And and what you're talking about there is a story of the rainbow serpent who yes. moves through the moves through the land and and and, and sculpts the land with the movement and the, and there are there are different iterations of that story you know like I said there are there are you know there's not one definitive version mm-hmm. of of that story um, but you know I'm so happy that you guys recognize those layers because that's that's absolutely intentional and and it, and and describing the film like an onion is is one of the nicest compliments I think I could get on the film. Uh, because onions make you cry as well, yeah. so you know it's it's, it's all work. Uh, but you know that's right. There's definitely layers to this, and and that's something that we were trying to work on and 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 incorporate into the story. Uh, as I was talking with Michael and showing him what I wanted to do with it and what my ideas were for it, and 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 how his stories and how his art was going to was going to be the fulcrum and the central basis yeah. for what these things were going to work around. But you know one of the other really important themes of the story because for me the main message of the movie is 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 about people coming together it's a very simple theme it's mm-hmm. a very simple idea it's about you know it's an old story but it's a, it's an important story about people from different sides learning to come together and be stronger together which i think is something really important for the human race yeah, but yeah. the but uh but the the notion of um the of the 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 importance of mythology the importance of storytelling and what stories can inspire us to do sometimes in our most difficult hours and when we feel like we don't know where to go. Sometimes we actually turn to our stories and we turn to our myths and legends and whatever form that takes um, for inspiration and and you will be able to draw meaning from those things. And and that is something that's a very important personal theme for me that I think is is also resonant in this film, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. And and I wanted to to remark that that's something that I kind of kind of keeps me engaged onto reading more material about mythology, religion, anything that has to do with human me history. Too. If you think about it and you look at it and you will find this all over even 
ancient stories of Aboriginal people from Australia or any other place. But any story that you're listening to, it has a moral message. It has a teaching Absolutely. behind it. I've seen this in several versions of the Bible. I've seen this in the Quran. I've seen it in the Tao Te Ching, Bhagavad Gita, all books. I've seen it in mythology, every single story about some god or some star. It has some lesson mm -hmm. hidden behind it. Yeah. Which is Absolutely. like it's it's like the, the the juice of of all that information you're you're absorbing, and sometimes at least to my own experience, it leaves me flustered. Like, wow, how these people knew this back then? Yeah, and then we try Absolutely. to think that they are just savages. They're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very it's simple. Absolutely not. It's very simple to think of that that way because you notice we we're humans and we can only describe our experiences based on how you know the level of language that we have could yeah. be one, uh, the level of intelligence we have, which doesn't necessarily mean that we're you know dumber uh, a civilization as our. our you know other civilizations but when you read there's there's a knowledge there it's just that barrier of language that makes it seem like they're primitive yeah it, it, and i notice that in every every example that you have mentioned my, my perception of our heritage as a race when i look at ancient texts mm -hmm. is what i feel is like throughout the time with all the technological advancements we kind of have forgotten the old wisdom that was hidden in all the stories it's, it's such an interesting point right because you know you've got on one side you, you it's always important you know you've got to at least for me right there's there's so much truth to that and especially when it comes to the aboriginal people of australia so much of that mythology even as you can tell from this story so much of that mythology and that storytelling and and it's not just the mythology it's a, it's 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 a it's a it's a system it's a moral system yeah. but so much of it is about the importance of the land, importance of animal life, the importance of preserving and living in balance, balance with those things from a very sensible, pragmatic way. There's a spirituality to it, but there's also a tangible pragmatism and a, and, and a balance for living in, in cohesion with nature. Yeah. You know, yeah. just in terms of us as human beings, our, how we survive in our environment, how we cohabit and, and, and manage resources and, and, and yeah. don't, don't devastate our environment. And this is, this is a fundamental lesson that, you know, let's call it colonial Australia and, 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 you know, these other forces around the world completely fail to listen. And there's such an incredible yeah. high and mighty, uh, you know, you know, sense of superiority and, and, and yet tangibly we're, we're just completely eviscerating ourselves and, and yeah. destroying our own future. Uh, yeah. for what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's incredibly frustrating and, uh, you know, and, you know, cultures that have existed for thousands of thousands of years, uh, you know, have clear evidence that, that they are, they have a more sensible, tangible yeah. means of surviving and preserving themselves in cohesion with the world around them, uh, as opposed to, you know, some of the powers that be today. So yeah, mythology, hugely important. And, um, and integral to this and, 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 and a deep respect for the cultures that lead to those mythologies. And it, it, it makes me a little sad because there's so much, um, so much knowledge has been lost because of that, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, it, it, we were talking about, for example, medicine, um, you know, there was, you know, medicine, natural medicine that, that, 
you know, because of profit, maybe um, the the medicine that we know today is is on top, and and there's so much that we can learn from it. But you know, again, the mentality, of the superiority, you know, yeah. I got. But then again, then again, and I can speak for Robert and me. We come from an island in the Caribbean called the Dominican Republic, and mm -hmm. most of, course, of yeah. most of our elders actually they still follow through. I wouldn't say people are shamans, but they do these old customs where there is a home remedy that you can mm -hmm. make for anything mm -hmm. that you have. Mm -hmm. So, oh, you're feeling under the weather, you have a cold, or oh, you had to take a bath with oregano. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you had to. Oh, you had to drink uh, a aloe with this uh, with onions and honey for for your cough. Uh, there's always some home remedy that Granny knows that has been passed on for generations. And it works, right? Exactly. Some, some foundational basis has you know got the scientific basis that is then exploited by you know guys. You know, we could do a whole podcast about the exploitative nature of big pharma. <laughs> yes. You know, like that's exactly that's a, whole, uh, that, that's a whole thing. But you know, it even pertains you know like look what's happening now in the amazon you know yes. with, yeah. with the destruction of the forest and the amazon like one of this planet's most important treasures the lungs of the planet uh, yeah 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 yes. and and just being and, and i know, you know and i know you, they up. have a lot of farmers actually having little wars with aboriginal people because they're being told take over the land and then they're taking over a land that doesn't belong to them mm -hmm. so you have these sad things going on all over the amazonian yeah forest it's very sad and i don't know if you knew i mean i like so many documentaries like i think that uh 70 of biodiversity mm. it's only in the amazon yeah. <laughs> i can't speak to the number but i know it is a very 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 high number yeah and yeah, yeah it's a, it's tragic what's happening now now something that, that that i really got me interesting and you made a point where you said that kind of the story brings people together at the same time the setup where it is which is a post-apocalyptic world mm -hmm. it's funny because it reveals also our nature as animals when we become more instinctive which is pure survival and then we're not yeah. a, as so much of a communion or a social animal we're more of eliminate risk uh, and kill anybody that might pose a risk too so you see the characters you see the bad guys you see the guy that is trying to survive that actually has a good nature uh and it was very interesting because he, he kind of have a lot of psychology into it too when he kicks into our survival in a war like that yeah <clears throat> a lot of that that's a lot of that about you know like that's a that's a con that's a concern of the movie you know it is about people that have splintered off into different groups, people that, you know, living remotely disconnected from each other. And I think one of the big things for me about making the movie and one of the big messages for the movie is we've got to work together. We have yeah. to come together. We're going to be stronger for our differences. We're going to be stronger through our diversity and then we can move forward together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we can't just hide from each other. And, and before we continue, I want to, I want to just, point this um point this out to our listeners as a point of perspective um i i i don't know if you, you guys can see and i'll probably put it in the notes the awards that this movie have gotten i can count there's uh best director there's three of those um you have best film uh you have best sci-fi best sci-fi actor james saunders which he did a great job yeah He's fantastic I was looking at it, it's like he, he, yes, you could see, and he sells it. 
you you feel that he's you know that he's like you said very good nature yeah you know so this this movie is when i when i read all those accolades i was i wasn't surprised i was not surprised (laughs) that movie is that good and if you guys have not watched it i'm going to go ahead and put a link in the notes so you can go ahead and watch it and let's have a conversation and tell me what you guys think when you watch this movie but we were um it, it grabbed us from the very beginning most definitely the first few minutes of the of the film thank you so much so in in the movie we are uh we are met with a post-apocalyptic view of the near future so you have and i think what grabbed me the most is you're used to black and white film and and it's it's not and the scenery man the scenery is oh. it's not <laughs> and i, I want to clarify it. it's not really because i've seen black and white film right this one is almost as if you were using um infrared film oh my but God, not dude. not infrared you're the second person to say that you're the second <laughs> you're the second not not quite there but i'm, I'm i had to ask you know like just that visual is very dramatic and even though it's black and white it's just super sharp you're you're looking at hd imagery yeah. of this uh desolated barren city falling apart and it's very like high oh contrast. my god it's just super amazing it transports you the music everything it, it just sucks you into the screen inside of that world so it's so nice of you to say guys I, I know, you know, it's, it, I just have to say it because um, it, it almost felt like it was infrared, almost. It's really interesting that you, that you should say that because I, I was just doing another interview the other day and, and, and someone said, you know, like, it feels like it was shot in infrared. What, what, what is going on there? And it's, 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 it's been really satisfying because a lot of people have responded really positively to the look of the film, which has been really satisfying for me. Because I'm so grateful to Tim Fregoning, who was the cinematographer of the film and who did such an amazing job shooting this movie. Um, And I must confess, it was Tim's idea to do the movie in black and white. As we were shooting the movie, it had not been our intention for it to be in black and white. I actually had... because, Because there is this... And, you know, it's visually included in the film and it's one of the themes of the movie. You know, we decided we didn't want to do Mad Max. You know what I mean? So, so we're doing Australian post-apocalyptic thing. Mad Max is huge. It's looming over everyone's shoulders, right? Because yeah, that's, that's the that. thing for Australian <laughs> post-apocalyptic thing. So we, so I was like, okay, we're not going to do a dust bowl. We're not going to do the desert. We're going to have nature coming back in because, you know, for, the, for, for your listeners who might not have been to Australia, Australia is a massive country. Australia is actually basically the size of the continental United States. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just that we don't have anywhere near the population because the people only basically, the, that's not true. A, a, lot of the, a lot of the large cities are on the coastlines. Mm-hmm. Um, at, you know, the rest of the country is populated and there's lots of communities and cities elsewhere, but the majority of the large, you know, urban centers are on the coastline and there it's quite lush. There's lots of greenery and, it's, and there's rainforests and, it's, you know, there's a lot of plant life. And so we were like, we're going to, we're going to have the plant life reclaiming the city and, and, and this world. Uh, and so we're going to shoot it in color to make that pop, you know, 
But then we were in the cave. We were shooting some of the stuff we were in the cave. And I'll just never forget it. I'm just sitting there and Tim's by the camera and I'm kind of over his shoulder. We're checking out the shot. And he just kind of says it under his breath. He goes, you know, we should shoot this movie in black and white. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? Like we're in the middle of shooting the movie. And this is like a, this would be like, you know, a huge change. And I realize later on now in, in life, I've kind of come to realize that maybe one of my signature characteristics is to say to, say to people's ideas, we can't do that. That's crazy. And then I'll walk away for five minutes and come back and go, that's, that's brilliant. Good. We should do that. I'm, <laughs> that idea and I'm, think I'm a genius. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I actually thought about that and I was like, you know what? You're absolutely right because the black and white lets you do so many things, right? It helps you give this sense of another world. It gives this alien you know, texture of something very different from the world we live in. It gives you kind of free production value because when things go black and white, it just looks more engaging, you know, with more contrast. So you can, you can, it's a useful tip. You can get away with a lot more in black and white. Oh yes. Um, No color correction. Well, that, well, you know, that's right. You you don't have to do the color correction. You only have to do the grade. Um, And so, and at the same time, that's when I realized, you know what, we can do something really special with the black and white we can actually use the black and white as a storytelling device and we can just okay let's experiment with where we go to color and we were thinking about this and then suddenly all those different ideas about how we can make statements with the usage of the color came up and that was so exciting and inspiring Uh, and so it worked out so well but the actual look of the film we shot the majority of the film on the red epic cameras and you know as you say it has this really interesting look it's not just black and white you know we didn't just bring the saturation down and boost the contrast up mm-hmm. we really went through every individual shot and specifically graded those shots to have you know if you actually go through it the reason why it looks ir is because you know based on some of the stuff we've done in each shot there's actually things that are happening with the light and shadow which don't really obey the laws of physics <laughs> you know we're bringing we're bringing up certain shadows and bringing down certain highlights in really strange and bizarre ways but it creates this alien feeling that you know people have responded to and so i'm really happy with the way the look of the film turned out so thank you for uh talking yeah. about it with such <laughs> no, enthusiasm. I, I had to it mention it. Not happen. No, yeah, I, and have... I, wa- I wanted to mention that one of the one of the characteristics, as, at least for me as an audience, when I was watching it, the black and white adds a thrill to the story. It, it has, so, a, it has a, a thrill into it. Mm-hmm. So, so it kind of enriches what you're watching because since it's black and white, yeah. It kind of absorbs you more than when having colors. And again, you mentioned something about nature, which I think is brilliant. Because if you think about it, that abundance of nature, which we've seen actually in a lot of backbone stories to post-apocalyptic worlds, Mm -hmm. it's a representation of the absence of our consumption over the world. You know? Exactly. It's perfect. (laughs) Yeah, and I I think that also uh, helped the story being told without words because i mean i'm seeing these buildings and they're being overrun by nature the first thing that comes to your head uh unconsciously or unconsciously is that you know a lot of time has passed by and we're gone (laughs) yeah so it it, that's one of the clever things that i I like and 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 i can't say this enough i mean if you guys are listening to our podcast here if you Watch the movie. You'll probably be. You wouldn't be surprised that it would grab you for the first couple of minutes. Yep. Just like it did us. If you like sci-fi movies, this will grab you in the first couple of minutes. And 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 that that was just it was just amazing. 
So we, we, uh, we see this story. Um, we see this, um, let's call it the, um, uh, the storyteller, um, which mm-hmm. is, um, you know, the, the, the person we just spoke about him, uh, best sci-fi actor, James uh, Saunders. Great, mm-hmm. great acting. We see him going through, uh, call it ro- rubble, um, and picking up things on the floor. Um, apparently, they look like stones. Stones, black stones. And mm-hmm. um, it, it only, I, I can only imagine later on in the film that this is something he used to draw on the walls of the cave. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he's being very particular, looking through, you know, different rocks and the floor and picking up certain ones. And I'm assuming this is he's just picking them for, for the you know the the value of you know which ones he feels that he could use more as a as a writing instrument. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um. So he he has this cave and there's a lot of drawings. Um. It, it, I get kind of like that feeling that. We're going for full circle. So original inhabitants of Earth, although he has language, he's trying to, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see books. I don't, I, the story doesn't tell you more. So you can't, you can only guess, but he has that desire to record. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, that's kind of an opening that the that the storytelling first character, our protagonist, does say on the movie. He's mm-hmm. like, my father told me that everything that we have is our stories. And at the same time, when when you guys took those shots of the paintings on the wall, yes, what comes to my mind is the actual paintings that I've seen in documentaries uh on australia in china Mm -hmm. when they find also prehistorical paintings Mm -hmm. and everything that comes to my mind is what was there before we came here and what's gonna be there after we're long gone it's our stories on stone because even books are gonna go away yeah but that on the stone it's not going anywhere and 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 you can tell also very cleverly that on the at the beginning prior to the to the initial name of the movie Every time they showed those um, drawings on the stone, mm-hmm. it was in color. Well, here's the thing. I don't know if I watched way too many documentaries about it. <laughs> I know that even if it was in color, you can expect that in color, that was probably just a tone of red and whites. That's why usually it's a some black. But it doesn't really change on more than those three colors in all the imagery documentaries that I've seen. When it comes to prehistoric and Aboriginal paintings on stones, they're usually just white, black, and red. That's usually the colors. I, I think, uh, I think that was a little impacting for me. So everything is in black and white, and then when they show the the image, the images on the stone, every time they focus on one, it's in color, kind of like a brownish uh, color. Yeah. And that, it, it got me interesting. It got me curious. It creates, I mean, this is part of my experience. You probably got to tell me if I'm right or not, but what you were trying to do probably is to create an emphasis and a concentration on that element on the screen at the moment. Like a highlight. There, there, are, there is absolutely correct. 
and but you know the usage of color like i said when we when we had those conversations about shooting it in black and white and then we said okay how can we go beyond that how can we use color to help us tell our story and you need to be very careful to not be gimmicky and you know you have you can't treat it frivolously it has to be something deliberate and when the movie does go into color and i won't spoil too much about it because i do want your listeners to hopefully watch and enjoy the film but there are some very deliberate reasons why it goes into color and it's absolutely to draw your attention to it but you'll also notice later on in the film that the character played by tiani the visitor she looks at these paintings and they're not in color and there is a very deliberate intention for when the film does and doesn't go in there and for me there's a meaning in there but it's been so interesting to me seeing the film with audiences and people coming up to me at the end and going i love the look but i really like the color i really like when it went to color really affected me and i go really why is that and everyone has these different answers and they have these different reasons as to why it made them feel this way some people came up with very philosophical answers and other people who are just as into movies and just as smart as those people just said, just made me feel nice. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and I'm like, great. You know, if, if, as long as it gave you something, gave you some, you know, there were some people going like, I, the color at the end really brought me up out of the, you know, cause you know, there's the film is there's, there's some conflict in the movie. Uh, and, and that's really pleasing to me. And yeah, it's definitely to draw your attention. Um, but, you know, the point of view in the movie is another really important thing. Who is watching and who is looking at certain times. The movie mm-hmm. is obviously there's a lot of looking, a lot of watching, a lot of listening in the film, which is another part of the theme, I guess, for me. But, yeah, the, the, the color thing is, is, is very interesting to me, and it's so interesting to hear people's thoughts on it. It almost felt like he just dropped in the movie with the color. It's like you drop on the movie uh, a switch that is going to trigger something on the audience. <laughs> because it always does. That's the thing. Yes, I mean, you're yes. watching something in black and white, and then the colors come in. You're like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> this, this is something that we discussed even on our previous episode with uh, Run, Lola, Run. Yeah. How the music played a, a part in that movie where you're used to this, you know, fast-paced music. And you're like, your heart is pumping. And then all of a sudden the music goes to slow and you're like, okay, holy mm. crap, something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's not your normal thought because a peaceful music should mean there's a peaceful scene. But when you're used to this whole thing nonstop and all of a sudden it changes on you, something's coming up. And that's why I'm saying that he dropped the switch. It's actually like a psychological treat. Mm-hmm. What he's doing yeah, absolutely. by by playing absolutely. with the colors in that way. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Because it affects you, right? It affects our brains on a very elemental level, and it strikes you. And it, then it what, kind of you know, tickles the consciousness is, of what, how much you're into it. Does. It. <laughs> it does <laughs> exactly. It, do, it does. And then it's also about you know like what does that you know because but you've got to be careful if you overuse it, then it will not have that power. Yes. And so you have so you have to decide where do you use it and what does it mean. And then you can, and then, but you don't want to hammer, hammer someone over the head. You go like, okay, I know why it's there. There's a justification there. But whoever watches the movie, however you interpret it, that's your interpretation. Yeah. It's no less valid than 
my interpretation. It creates an aha moment. Yeah. That's what it does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I want to say this, and I know we said it a lot in previous episodes, but um, if you have not listened to the movie and you have listened to our episodes, you know that by this time you should pause it, go watch the movie, and then come back to us because we're all about spoilers. Yes. So if, if, you're listen, okay. if you listen to us regularly, you know what's up. So the... The, the movie, then, what we see now next is he's, he's going about um, in his cave and he hears a commotion. And he goes and look and see what the, this commotion is. And we are met with this scene where there are um, two scavengers and two women. Mm-hmm. Um, one is in the floor with one of the scavengers and the other one is standing up being held held down by the arm and we, we kind of had this conversation about this which it, it made the it made us pause that scene for quite a while um he's looking and and you're saying like dude are you just gonna look are you gonna do something mm-hmm. and i'm thinking you know we we're all about survival. Exactly. <laughs> so you can tell that he wants to do something. He wants to save them. But he won't risk killing himself on the, on the way to that. There is um, weapons involved. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that scene right there, it was it, it just one of those scenes when, when you're grabbing your chair and you just kind of like, okay, holy crap, what's going to happen now? Because you can tell in his face. Which again, I'm gonna say he's amazing. Um, that he wants to do something, but he is afraid to do it. Yep. What was? Can I don't know if you can replay that conversation that we. I I I, I mean, one place what one will do on it because mm-hmm. I mean, as you watching the movie, you're experiencing it at your as as you yourself. On yes. It, you know. At the same time, you can wage that we don't have the same character that our actor has on the movie. And, and I think that he did a brilliant, brilliant job because he portrays a person that has no, uh, no evil in, on his person. Yes, yes. Like he comes to me as a very naive person that has good on the heart. He's just compassionate. So like he doesn't have that violence neither on him. And we see that played out actually throughout the movie. That's right. Yeah. That, that's the nature of his character. Uh, I mean, that, that scene was just great. And I, I mean, in between all the elements, he kind of uh, spots himself in front of the people because he makes a noise and kind of startles them. Yeah. So and- by, by that and many more things, many little elements that add up to his persona, mm-hmm. you can see, okay, it's not like he's a killer scavenger that's going to just take down anybody in his way. All the contrary. Probably if he's misfortunate enough to find the wrong people in the wrong place, He'll get killed. Yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, so, so it, it makes you feel even more afraid for, for the character. Yes. On his quest to survive on this world. Yes. <laughs> That's and, right. And you, you can't help but feel bad, especially when he gets discovered, right? And one of the scavengers just points a weapon at him, mm-hmm. some sort of rifle, I believe. And he's just there, like, you know, deer in the headlights. And then all of a sudden he just scrams. Yeah. And 
it, it was a little heartbreaking to see the woman's face. Like, all hopes just vanishes. Yep. But at the same time, it makes me wonder, and I mean, I know it's a little rough, but when, when that scene happened, all that crossed in my head, like, what are you expecting? To jump in front of the gun and stop yeah. the bullet? <laughs> yes. Yes. But at the same time, she's in a very big mess, too. Yes. It's... <laughs> It is. It, it's a tough situation, right? And yeah. people, you know, I've spoken to people about that scene, and people have talked to me about it. And you know, the the character obviously goes on a bit of a journey, and and by virtue of what happens to him later on in the story, and through telling the story of his people that he does, I think he finds his courage and realizes that yes. you know, at some point, you've actually got to, you know, you've got to take a risk. Yeah. You've got to. You've got to go out there and do it. Just go, don't forget. It's in this world where society's gone. So it's mm-hmm. not like, you know, you've got a support structure or anything there, any kind of normal normality. Yeah. And he has this place that he's protecting, which we know is full of, you know, he, he's, he's clearly working on these paintings, but perhaps they're also ancient. Perhaps they're the last, you know, of, of his particular, the last of, iteration of those stories. So he feels compelled to protect this place. So he does, he, he's got something to lose. Yes. In, yes. in this world. And, you know, I also, you know, feel that in, if, when the chips are down and there'd be certain people in danger, yeah, I'd run out and, and risk being shot for sure. But if you're in a situation like that where you've been living in isolation for who knows how long mm-hmm. and you've got something to lose and you've got, these are strangers, you don't want these, you know, he's come out, he's heard this sound. So, He's clearly got a sense of compassion. He's mm-hmm. he could have just gone nope and just sunk back into his thing, but he came out to see what was going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But he's not going to die. He's no. not going to. He's not going to take a bullet. He, and and also, it's not like he's making a, a you know a sitting down and going okay, let's think this through. He's got a rifle in his face. Yes. Yeah. From some very unsavory characters, he's going to get out of dodge. Yeah. But at the same time, you know. Yeah. It's a it's a challenging question, and I think that over the course of the story, you see him overcoming that, with that situation. Person, again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You actually did a great job delivering that part of his yes. evolution as a character, because by the awesome. end of the movie, you can see that he actually overcome this part of, of his journey. Yeah. Now yeah. I have a question for you about the setup where he's camping up, because mm-hmm. I I feel this is what I caught. Maybe this is just out of the blues and has nothing to do with it. But he's in a cave, and if you think about it, in a post-apocalyptic world, many or most places are empty. So there are better conditioned places for him to camp out if he searches, but he's always on the cave. So I felt more like this was purposely made on the story to depict his connection to his ancestry and to the stories, which actually is that line that he repeats at least two to three times throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. It's about the importance of the stories that we have. So right. I, I feel like, I don't know if you did that on purpose or it, it just came Absolutely. naturally, but I was like, this is amazing because yeah, I'm yeah. thinking like, well, I would have go to an abandoned building or something that I could barricade myself. Like he's very defenseless really in this hole if somebody walks in, yeah. but he's actually yeah. completely set up in there mm-hmm. and he's working on the place to make it better. And he's like at home in the cave. Yeah. Yeah. The, the decision to use the cave was you know, it, it very much rooted in, in, in the, hist- the long history of Australian Aboriginal cave painting art, some of the oldest art 
in human collective history. Uh, and in many instances, those sites have either been uh, violated or destroyed or, yeah. you know, you know, fallen, you know, th their fates are left in the hands of, of forces beyond the people that are supposed that are, that are in charge of them, that have guarded them for, th for thousands of years. So there's definitely, definitely deliberate that the cave is, 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 is allegorical. It reflects sacred sites, you know, yes. sacred first nation sites. It's about, you know, I think, you know, he, the character's called the storyteller, but in many ways I look at him as like a curator or, you know, as yes. someone who has been assigned to look after this, he feels it's his responsibility to look after and preserve this site. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you see he's doing maintenance and stuff on it. And, and mm -hmm. that's why it's so important. He could, be, he could go and be a, a hermit, be constantly on the move. Or as you say, he could potentially find somewhere maybe more defensible. But this, is a, this, this site is, is what keeps him going. It's actually looking after this space is what gives him a purpose in this world and, and keeps him level. Mm -hmm. allows him to kind of hang on, hang on to his humanity. That's why you see at the beginning of the movie when he's going in, he makes great care to kind of make sure he doesn't leave any tracks and to make it look as though there's nothing's disturbed this site because for him, the most important thing is just looking after this and making sure no one else finds it. But that's when you've got to ask yourself the question, when no one is there to share in the stories and when there's no one around to absorb them and to help protect them and to pass them on, you know, yeah. you've got to start to, you know, like what's more important, you know, is it, yeah. it, we, we have to, we have to look after each other, you know, like the, and, 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 and story and, and, you know, the, the, the film says the most important things we have are our stories, but this story is about the importance of looking after each other. So there's yeah. lots of, you know, different, you know, ideas that all bounce off each other and connect to that. But you're hundred percent correct. Very deliberate to set that in a space that's evocative of first nations, uh, cultural sites. So the, the next thing we see is one of the girls escape and, um, <clears throat> he goes back to his cave. And I know you have a question about this one. The next thing we hear is he's, he's hunkering down in his, in his, uh, cave. As everything is going on with the escape and everything. And you hear thunder. Yeah. Twice. There's, there's a big noise and then it becomes a thunder. That's what I felt. It was not a thunder. It was a noise and yeah. it became a thunder. So you don't know if there was a shot. You don't know if it was just a thunder of the rain and the scene changed. So it was like, what exactly. the heck happened? So exactly. it's apparent that something happened to that woman, right? We don't know. Did she get killed? And did she get tied up somewhere and is out of sight? We don't know, but we can only imagine that based on the sounds, there might have been a, a shot from the rifle. Yeah. So, yeah, you were having, you were having that question. And I don't every know. Every single time that I watch that scene, we I'm watch, like, Every time okay, we watch it, he has the same question. <laughs> what happened? My friends, I'm going to leave that question absolutely up to you. <laughs> I know that you made it that way. You made it in a way there's not a definite answer to yes. it. It was made purposely like that. <laughs> Look, what, what happens with that character, you know, like, you know, uh, that's a, it's a harrowing scene. Um, and, you know, it's certainly, um, you know, it's, 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 it's nothing, there's nothing light about what happens in that. And, it, and, and, 
I deliberately, we don't show what happens to the survivor, uh, Kate's character. Um, but, you know, one of the thing, you know, like it, it actually would have been fantastic, you know, if, if we'd had the opportunity, because don't forget, this was a, this is such a small budget movie. So mm-hmm. many people were doing this sometimes for free. You know, it would have been fantastic. We would have actually loved if we could have had more survivors and more scavengers. It would have been great if we actually could have had a, a, a larger group of survivors being ambushed by a larger group of scavengers. It would have actually been, I think, better to show both male and female uh, victims of that attack, uh, because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't really a comment or or a commentary on um, uh, violence against women necessarily mm-hmm. in any way. And 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 yeah. you know, moving forward into a, potentially working on a you know a larger version of this story, or even doing things, you know, people ask like, what would you change? What would you do again? It's like, oh, I you know, I think for this, it would have been better for the story if we could have had a few more people in that situation mm-hmm. just for many reasons i think for blocking for staging just for the storytelling i think it just would have been more effective and it would have avoided this notion of a, a man uh preying on a woman which obviously you know it's authentic to the setting yes. of the story mm-hmm. and yes. it's something that happens in reality yes but you know it was you know it's like oh you know we, we it, it wasn't like we were deliberately making a comment on that and so mm-hmm. it would have been probably better if we could have fleshed that out probably one of the few things in the story that i think oh yeah we could have made that a little bit better in that area um but in terms of what happens to that character and what happens to the fate of those characters yeah we leave it ambiguous we didn't mm-hmm. want to see her getting you know murdered or anything like that that would just be gruesome yeah. um and and it is more about you know, you're, you, you know, it's all about from the, from the point of view, from the perspective of the storyteller, the lead character, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and so much of it is, you know, how he sees it and what his perspective is and, and the things that he can't see and the things that he doesn't understand uh, are outside of it and can be confusing to him in many ways. But, um, it's certainly uh, an ambiguous ending to that and, scene. And I, I, I don't know if you agree with me, but I think that scene plays a very important um part on the next scene the immediate scene when we seen we see him um not necessarily cowering in his cave but um what i felt was slight guilt yes you see guilt but you see a lot of fear on the character he did a great job with this because if you think about it when you watch the movie the first instinct of the character is to hide behind something mm-hmm. you have many scenes where he's behind a rock in his cave looking outside mm-hmm. you have at least six seven different scenes that he does that instinctively so so you have that uh message that comes subliminal to his character that he's not a fighter yeah, you know he's on survival mode and he's on running high mode at the same time i think what came yeah. to my mind when i saw that scene of him you know him cowering I see a complete, not necessarily balance between, you know, fear and guilt. Um, But I think that wouldn't be, that wouldn't happen if that scene with a woman has never taken place. So when I was watching this, I was like, I don't know exactly if this is how you, I I automatically felt that when I watched him. And it's kind of like almost, I almost felt as if I was inside his head. Which is really weird, and 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 the battle inside him, where you know he's feared, and you know, oh, because of me, something happened to her. Mm-hmm. But but I couldn't do anything because I would die. But 
something happened to her in, in that battle between the exactly the, the two. So he does a great job of portraying that. James yes. is just he's such an incredibly evocative face, and he's so wonderfully receptive to direction. And you know, he's just a great actor. And yeah. I'm so he, he he's you know he's I just saw James in a play a, f- a few months ago. He's he just did a fantastic job. But that's exactly right. You know, that's that's in that scene. He's terrified. He's in a you know it's we, we are in a post-apocalyptic survival you know, kill or be killed or hide, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, scenario. And, and like I said, this guy's got something to lose. He, you know, if, if he was, a, a, you know, maybe a more traditional post-apocalyptic character where it's a absolute rock bottom and you've let go of all, you know, threads of civilization, then yeah. that's a different kind of character. But he's got something to lose, which means that he's kept onto his humanity, which means he's both terrified and guilty because... No, now that I'm here, now I feel terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and, and that's part of that journey. And again, you see him struggling with these thoughts uh, on a subliminal way throughout the movie because right after that, the girl is actually sitting inside. He pushes her away and gets her outside. But when she sees that the other guy is coming, his first thought is like, after telling him run, I mean, they kind of imply it because you guys cut scene and then she's inside again. So I am sure that he just pulled her inside because she didn't think she was going to go inside again by her own, on her own. That's right. Yeah. So it, it seems to me like you see that the character is struggling with protecting himself, but at the same time, he's not going to allow somebody to die if he can do something about it. Yeah. So when there's a moment of decisiveness, he he takes the leap. Yeah. And that's why he that's feels right. it's the right thing. And I kind of felt at that moment that I'm not sure the girl kind of like, Lost all hope? Maybe? I would say, I mean, I think that this girl is also a brilliant actress, but she seemed on a, on a catatonic state of shock. She was not talking or anything. She talks afterwards. Mm-hmm. So she's not talking. She looks very desperate. Like, like the fear and desperation on her face were portrayed perfectly. Because we, that, before she exactly goes inside, right. she's on her knees, and like you can see she's about to cry. But there's some desperation on her face. She doesn't know what to do. Like, she doesn't even know if she should move. So, right. I, I mean, I think it was just amazing. Amazing work. This is a child, you know what I mean? This is a young child yeah. who's being exposed to all of this horror. Mm-hmm. She's actually got a very defiant spirit. You yeah. know, you can tell in her eyes that, and at the beginning when you see her, you know, she's not, you know, she, she, she's, she, she, she's, um, you know, I think she I think she knows who she is, but she's in this terrible uh, scenario and she doesn't know who to trust. And she's also being exposed to a lot of violence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and kids sometimes totally just shut down and go into their own little space when they're when mm-hmm. when they're exposed to stuff like that. Um, and so. So, yeah, she, she is in. Yeah, that, that's one of the, you know, the, the notions for that character is, is that, you know, she has she's been exposed to a lot and. Uh, and and she's got a lot of a lot on her shoulders for a character that young. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, think about it. Doesn't matter how young, or how old, and how spirited a person is, when they are constantly overpowered. Which I'm sure that that's what the character experienced. On the, it it doesn't matter how, how high is your spirit. You're gonna feel tied down. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna feel in that constant state of fear. I mean, it's one of the most primitive uh, instincts that we have, which is called fight or flight when yeah. you go into a, a 
a big amount of stress, it sets you up for that. You're either going to fight right. or you're going to flight and go away. That's right. And That's you right. can see you can see all of those. It's what I'm telling. The movie brings a very good part of our primitive psychology mm -hmm. into the way that the, car the characters played out between each other throughout the story. Uh, I think one of the coolest thing about this movie also that I noticed is the ability of the actors to say a lot more without words. Yeah. And, and, and that's a quality that, you know, you don't see in many movies. Mm -hmm. and, and not only that, but, you know, we talked about it in the past. It's the perfect mixture because you can have actor that does that. But if you, have, if you don't have the right story, it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. mm. So is that, that I, I use a cooking analogy where you have, <laughs> you know, the right amount of salt, the right amount of pepper, and just it's perfect. So the next scene that we see is he, and, and this is where we are met with the story where he, he takes the girl in after, you know, the, the scavengers left, mm -hmm. which by the way, that was a very intense, intense. <laughs> <laughs> the guy looking through the little hole, I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> it makes you want to look for a rock and, you know, kind of hide yourself, you know? So yeah, it was a very intense. So he takes, once they, they go, he takes the girl and um, he, he starts telling the story about um, Brolga um, to the little girl, which this is something that I, I, I would tell, and I would probably put it in the notes too. Um, I would recommend you kind of read, it's a very small, you know, blurb. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go ahead and put in the, the link to that, you know, that story. You want to read that story first and then watch the movie because I remember I got a complete different perspective of the movie after I read the story. What was, what is your opinion on that? Oh, me too. I, I think that, I think that they made a happy ending version of Volga uh, in the movie. That's what I feel like they did. And, and I'll tell you why. I mean, if you notice in the story of Volga, even though she didn't die, uh, the spirit actually said nobody's going to have her. So he turned her into a bird and then she flew away here at the, by the end of the story, Brolga stayed with him. It's interesting, right? Because the, one of the things to factor in is that the story of the Brolga crane, you know, he's not necessarily comparing her to this girl, but he is using this story as you would with a child, you know, mm -hmm. he's, he's using it to communicate with her because she's, as you say, she's like catatonic, not talking, not communicative. So he's trying to communicate with her and to tease out some kind of connection so that they can do something so that they can survive in some way. And first of all, you know, when it comes to the actual Murawari story, this is one of the interesting things that's important to keep in mind is that, you know, we may look at that story as a sad ending. But that's not necessarily the perspective of an Aboriginal, of a first Australian of audience, because in many ways, it's a story about transformation. Yeah. And it's a story about how we got this beautiful bird. And so from a certain point of view, one could argue that she, that Brolga now exists even today with all of us and everyone can appreciate mm -hmm. how great she is at dancing. 
So that's what I mean when I say that there's a certain perspective on the stories that we as non-Indigenous Australians, you know, it's not really, sorry, we as, you know, not being Indigenous to Australia, it's it's a certain thing that we're never going to truly grasp on that level. But I think that the notion of there being a transformation and a change is the main parallel yeah. because at the end of the movie, they do come together and do realize that they can survive together. And everything you said about the storyteller, about his essential nonviolence, about the fact that he is a compassionate character, you know, he does have to, he does grow, he does step up to the plate, he does go out to defend her. And, you know, it doesn't quite go to plan. But then as and you were also saying about the 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 um, the visitor, Tiani's character, the young girl, how she has lived a life of being oppressed. And then at the end, she finally gets her opportunity to, you get know, back. Get, get, <laughs> get back, get back. Yeah. And so they, they can't kind of come together and complement each other in a way. And they realize that they, that they, they, they do get along and, and they do cooperate and, and, and they do survive together and they're going to be stronger off. You know, that's the ultimate message of the story that, you know, you're going to be stronger. We're going to be stronger together, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so for, yeah, from my point of view, you know, she's not meant to necessarily be that girl in that story, but he is definitely noticing the parallels, uh, you know, in what he's seeing and he can definitely see how well, this this thing that I've dedicated my life to preserving is telling me I got to go out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. if I if I'm not paying attention to what this thing's telling me, what's the point of me even yeah. preserving yeah. it? Yeah. That's so true. Th- 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 there's some th- these are the ideas that, that that you know we were interested in, and you know Michael and James, you know because James, the lead actor, you know he had a lot of insight and perspective, you know, James, he was the one that actually was saying, you know, I think, you know, he was talking to me about how a lot of his story, a lot of his ancestral stories and his family stories were passed down to him by his father. That's why at the beginning of the film, we have the line about his father telling me because that actually is what that comes from James. You know, we were having these conversations. (laughs) It was originally something else. And he was like, Oh, this, this, I'm like, Oh, well, would you be, can I do this? And, you know, we actually were doing the, recording and I was like rewriting the dialogue as we were in the recording booth and I was like, oh, we should do this. And we were doing different versions of it. Um, and so, you know, we were finding it that way. But um, yeah, the, the inclusion of the story and the echo of the story, it's fascinating because, you know, the ending, it's, it's, it's very open to interpretation. The ending of the original story and the ending of the film. And, and this is one of the things that I find the coolest and why I invite everybody to kind of read the, the little blurb is the parallel between as is telling the story and what's happening, and what's in, happening in real life. <laughs> and, and that was amazing. Um, and, and, and the story, he's, he's falling asleep and the girl will, you know, is planning to go outside. So as she goes outside... And you can still hear the storyteller telling the story. And when he, when she walks outside and you see the guy, the, the, the scavenger looking down at the mm-hmm. girl, kind of like, you know, found you. Mm-hmm. And of course that, that moment, um, you know, we were already, uh, oh crap, you know, <laughs> it's about to go down. It's about to go down. And but it, in parallel, he's talking about the evil spirit how he looked at the girl and he took her. So as he's telling the story, we can hear 
that he's already have their pinned down. Um, and the storyteller goes outside. And again, a very, very tense moment because we know this guy means business. And the storyteller is there. He's basically told him, you know, let her go. And the, I guess the tensest moment there was when he looked down and he noticed the rifle on the floor. But but I will tell you something. There's something more subliminal that happens. And I think that it was done on purpose because of the nature of this character, the one that is portrayed by James. You cannot help but feel scared no matter what's going on when there's conflict. Because since he's so compassionate and you don't see that violence in him, you don't even know if he has what it takes to kill somebody if he must. And you're bested on the character at this point. Yeah. So, so you don't want nothing <laughs> bad to happen to the character. And at the same time, you don't know if he actually is going to pull it through to do something that might require killing somebody to save somebody else. <laughs> That's right. Definitely. So he goes down and there was a moment where you kind of like stop breathing mm-hmm. until you see the storyteller with a rifle. And then you're like, okay. Feel a little better now. <laughs> well, I didn't because the other guy didn't seem scared at all. Well, that's the and thing. That's the that's the part that was started creeping me out. He's like, okay, this guy has a rifle in his face and he's just laughing and making signs with he's, his hands and making fun. <laughs> he started making fun of the storyteller, and and you can tell right there. You know what? This this guy is really bad news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and now you, I, at least for me, I started getting scared again. It, you know something's going to happen. This guy is not, you know, a normal person will like, oh, you know. Get on the knees or just run. <laughs> run or, I mean, you know, but he's like playing with fate mm-hmm. in front of, because I mean, the reason why I say playing with fate is, although we don't, we know that the storyteller is not that type of person, an accident could happen. Yeah. He could, you know, press the trigger by mistake and shot him. Hey, so, and no matter how good are you, if it comes between you and me and you have the gun, you're going to choose you yeah. <laughs> if I am posing a danger to you and somebody around you. So there's a lot of, <laughs> you know, from the perspective of a scavenger, there's a lot of unknowns. So for him to be able to do that and just make fun of the storyteller mm-hmm. holding the rifle, it tells you that, you know, either something is not quite right in his head or this guy is just bad news. Mm-hmm. Real bad news. Later, we learned that he actually is hanging around with an empty rifle. <laughs> so he knew all along <laughs> that he's not getting shot. <laughs> he just played out. But, That's right. Yeah. So then he's, you know, he, he takes, he punches him. Um, the storyteller's on the floor. And now I'm holding my breath again. Because he pulls up this knife and he's on top of the storyteller. Um, and yeah <laughs> now now i have to highlight a very interesting scene that happens next is that as all of this is happening he is telling the story of mm-hmm. of yes. roga and even though he's telling the story you don't see anybody talking and at that moment he on the ground he actually continues talking the story of the very thing that is happening about Brolga. And there's cuts <laughs> and there's cut scenes because you can see how they cut to back to the cave when he's telling the girl the story. Yeah. So there, there's slight there's that. And that's why I think it's so important for people to know, especially for us, uh, you know, n- 
let me say non-Australians, to be mm-hmm. a little familiar with the story before mm-hmm. watching this. Be- it, it's just amazing how everything goes in parallel. You're, you're like listening and you're listening to a story and watching the story in parallel. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's one of the coolest things. And it's like... Thank you very much. I, I feel like w- when the storytelling starts, it's just a story being told in the movie. But as it progresses, you're making the story the movie. Yes. That's right. That's, that's what it felt. Yes. And, and I mean, it's like... That's right. Like, you end up watching the story happening, and you're like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, towards the end of the scene, uh, then we have uh, the girl picked up what appears to be a rock? No, she, I don't know if you noticed before going, and I don't know what she was going to do when she left the cave. I felt like she was going to pick more of those rocks on her own. I felt too. I because felt like she, picked an, she picked an, an, a specific rock, put it on the back, and left. But she didn't put much stuff in the back neither. Mm-hmm. So it didn't feel like she was just emptying out and taking off. So she grabbed that rock that she picked and used it at the very moment that the storyteller is saying, like, Broga was brave and she actually fought back. And That's right. That was uh, liberating for the character because she was able to take, you know, charge. Mm-hmm. And she stabbed the, the, the scavenger on the neck. Yeah, gave it an extra breathing hole. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I mean, the bad guys were great too because yes. the, the, the predator guy, the scavenger, he, you cannot help but, but feel this is a very bad guy. Yes. Like, you, like he did a great job portraying bad intentions. Yeah. He, like he a predator. He does a great job. And, and the funny thing about it is James, his name is also James. James Shepard plays the scavenger and James Saunders plays the storyteller. So on set, <laughs> discerning between the two Jameses was a bit of... Was a bit of but, no, James. Yes, James. Um, but uh, j- both of those uh, are two of the n- both of those men are two of the nicest, yes. sweetest, gentlest men you could ever hope to meet. James, I couldn't tell you between the two Jameses who is the more gentle, pleasant, lovely guy. Uh, but you know, when James got in, when James Shepard got into that makeup and he got into that wardrobe and he was just because I told him, you know, he was like, "How should I play the character?" And I was like. If you want to have a keyword, my keyword is a dog. I love dogs, right? I adore dogs. I've got three dogs. But I meant, you know, like a feral dog. Yeah. A, a rabid you know, like dog. A, 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 <laughs> rabid, Dingo? a rabid dog. Uh, even dingoes are na- actually natively wild dogs. Uh-huh. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they're, they're, they're actually out of – they're kind of like wolves. Unlike, you know, a domesticated dog that oh, has okay. gone – feral you know and and, mm-hmm. and you know rabid so and he was so good at, at doing that and 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 i'm so glad also that you you know you point out the notion that he didn't have any ammunition the whole time yeah it was everything just a bluff. that happened even in the first scene yeah he had no reason to be afraid well i mean you know he would they would still, they still had knives but that gun you know my intention, you know, like all the ammunition was gone long ago. For, you know, he couldn't find another round for that rifle. You know, it would be impossible to find. He's long and he's just using it now as, you know, he's just brandishing it as a symbol. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, it was, and it was ultimately completely empty. Um, but yeah, the scavenger, I thought, was, was he's, he's, he's very effectively 
horrible. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I always find that interesting because um, and, and many, um, let me say, documentaries, interviews that I, they do, that I have heard of actors playing that, that you know, villain. That, that villain. <clears throat> Everybody, the common thing that I hear is that they have a lot of fun. And some of mm. those that play that character for a living, because there's, there's that one character, I mean, that one actor that you see being the villain in almost every movie. Mm-hmm. And they ask him, and they, they say they have a lot of fun. And then most of the time, they're far apart to what they actually mm. are. So, mm. you know, I wonder if this is the case for uh, James. Um, he could not be more different. I know for James, I, I mean, I'm sure James loves playing the villain. I know in this particular movie, he didn't relish it because obviously the character's doing some really horrible things. Yes. You know, he's not, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't get any great monologues or any, you know, he doesn't, he's, he's just being a, you know, people have, have been very complimentary to the performance and they say, and they go like, oh, he was so scary and he was, oh, it was terrible and it was horrifying. Uh, and James transformed so much, but, um, you know, he, you know, to his credit, you know, like James had something, you know, where, you know, we're on set where he's, you know, wrestling with Tiani. And so we, you know, we had, you know, Tiani's parents there to make sure everything was, was everything, everything was being run. You know, I think Tiani was more like, James, you've really got to try to fight me. He's been so careful to make sure that he doesn't hurt her or make her uncomfortable. And she's like, Okay, James, I really appreciate this, but we are both actors. Let's actually try to do something. <laughs> okay, so it, it, you couldn't you couldn't be more different from what it was like on set. But as you say, uh, he it, the villain can be is can can be a great role, and and he's certainly one of the most memorable parts of the film. Yes, awesome. And, and it come, this comes to to the best part. You know, not necessarily the best part. The entire movie was good, but at the end of the story that he's telling, because at this point we're still hearing the story being told. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so at this point in the film is when everything turns color. Yep. And That's right. it's almost like it tells you, okay, you can breathe. <laughs> there's a sense of relief. There's a sense of That's warmth. Because, yep. you know, black and white usually have that feeling of, you know, coldness, you know, you're like fear and, and you see color coming into the, you know, slowly coming into focus. Yeah. And, and you, you feel like. <sighs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it's like purposely, psychologically, you're holding your breath mm-hmm. throughout all the thrill that is going on. You don't know what's going to happen. But then when the bad guy is gone, it's like you can breathe. <laughs> We're all safe. <laughs> and it was, it was just amazing that the, the, the use of, you know, I already heard of the use of soundtrack, but the use of color on a film. Yeah. And, and I think this is amazing. I, I don't, I, I'm trying to think um, any other way that, you know, any other media that I have seen this happen. And I can't really, I mean, I've seen the manipulation of uh, format. But not color. Mm. No, this not is the like first that. time that I see they use the color to 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 guide the audience in mm-hmm. the story. And I, I highly recommend uh, if you guys haven't seen it to check out um, Andrei Tarkovsky's film Stalker, mm-hmm. which is a yes. Russian film from 1979. It's all in Russian, uh, but it was one of the 
it, it's funny. It's one of my absolute favorite science fiction films. When we were designing uh, the color treatment for Brolga, I did not think of it consciously once. And then later on, I realized, oh, I must have been affected by that because Stalker is all about um, a small group of people going into a post-apocalyptic abandoned zone in the countryside. And every for all time, for the length of the film where the characters are not in this zone, it's in black and white. And then when they transition, it goes into color. Oh, um, wow. And it makes, and it has a different meaning. It has a different effect. Uh, it's done differently in that film. Uh, but, you know, I realize now, looking back, I go, I probably unconsciously was affected by by that. There's no way I couldn't have been because people were going, oh, it really reminds me of Stalker. I was like, oh, well, <laughs> that's, I'm I, the big compliment. Thank you. So I checked. That's another wonderful film by an incredible filmmaker, you know, who's who is just masterful in his use of the color and the black and white. Oh, I'm going to try that out for sure. Yeah, we're going to try it. And, and, it's a and long I... film, though. Buckle up. <laughs> oh, that's, if it's good, that's what it's all worth it for. Yeah. Well, you know, and if it's long, it might get longer with us anyway. So, you know. Yeah, we're... usually yeah. usually uh, a one-hour movie, one hour and a half, takes us three or four hours. Because uh, your, your, your short film took us, uh, uh, the first time that we watch it, it took us, what, maybe like a good 50 minutes? Yeah. 60 yeah. minutes? That's cool. Because <laughs> yeah. we just continuously stop, go back, talk about this, talk about that. <laughs> Guys, you're, it's music music to my ears. All you all you want when you make something like this is for someone to go, ooh, let's talk about it. So it's, it's wonderful. Oh, I'm it. very glad that you re- enjoyed the film. Yeah, we really like it. And, and, and uh, if you ever do another sci-fi, you know, I'm... I'm I would be honored if you come back to our show and we can talk Guys, about that. I was going to say, like, <laughs> as soon as I've got something else that is relevant to you guys, I'll be like, guys, you got to let me come back and we'll talk about it. So, so yeah, ne- next time anything I'm doing sci-fi, I- I'd love to come back. Awesome. Definitely. Yeah, I, I, I love this, this, um, this movie. Um, it's very unique. And if you guys have not uh, watched it, I'm going to put a, a link to the movie in the description so you can watch it. And, and let's have a discussion. Uh, let's talk about it in twi- uh, um, on Twitter. We are on Discord. Um, I'm going to put some of the links uh, for... Um, I'm going to also put on the, the, the list of the awards on it. So you, you, you see that, you know, it's... Um, it's well deserved. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you if you have any website or uh, social media profiles that that our listeners can find you to. What would that be? Please, yeah. So you guys can just find me at Adrian J Powers at Twitter and on Instagram, uh, and and add me on Facebook. Please go for it. Um, and uh, yeah, my website is adrianpowers.com, but right now it's actually we're doing some changes on it. it's under construction. But um, please also, you know. Head on over to my YouTube channel, which is just Adrian Powers Filmmaker. You can see Brolga there. You can see some of my other short films. You can see some of the other YouTube content I'm working on. And um, yeah, give us a follow. Send me a message. Love talking to people. Love going into the comment section and talking to people uh, you know, about the film. So yeah, please uh, hit me up. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And um, again, you have no idea how much we appreciate you coming on our show and talking about this movie. We, Absolutely. We, we love guys, guys, <laughs> it's, it, please, it's the other way around. I'm so grateful for you guys bringing me on for the chance to talk about it. It was absolutely delightful. So great to talk to you guys. You guys have got such a great 
uh, critical analysis of film and sci-fi. And, and it's, this is one of the best interviews I've ever done. So I really appreciate it. And like I said, I'll be coming, I'll be coming back to you guys when I've got some more sci-fi stuff to talk about. So thank you guys really sincerely. Awesome. awesome. So to all our um, audience out there, stay tuned. Well, this is the end of our show for now. Please let us know if you liked this episode. And let us know if you have any idea about which topics you would like us to discuss in our next episodes. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Remnant. And if you like this podcast, share it. And don't forget to rate us in your favorite podcast platform. This will help us grow. Thank you. See you next time. This is Science Fiction Remnant, signing off.